Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. We're in Isaiah chapter 29. Let's begin in verse 1. Woe to Ariel. Ariel, the city where David camped. All right, now Ariel, I believe, refers to Jerusalem. It could mean this lion of God, but I believe that it also refers to actually an altar hearth. And, and here's why. We've seen an altar hearth referred to elsewhere in scripture. It's in Ezekiel chapter, is it chapter 43? Yeah, Ezekiel chapter 43. These are the measurements of the altar and units of length, each unit being the standard length plus three inches. The gutter is 21 inches deep and 21 inches wide with a rim of nine inches around its edge. This is the base of the altar. The distance from the gutter on the ground to the lower edge is three and a half feet and the width of the ledge is 21 inches. There are seven feet from the small ledge to the large ledge whose width is also 21 inches. The altar hearth is seven feet high and four horns project upward from the hearth. So this, this word for altar hearth, uh, the, the word altar hearth that's seen here, it's, it's a, it's sort of an obscure Hebrew word, but it's parallel to Ariel, Ariel, right? It, it could be what's referred to here in, uh, in this name for Jerusalem as Ariel. It means that God's going to consume it with fire. Hence the moat around the edges and the depth of the moat to contain the water and the gutter. All of that is so that fire could come down from on high and consume the offering that's there. Do you remember what Elijah did in facing down the prophets of Baal? He built and kind of overbuilt this altar hearth with excessive amounts of water, even covering the offering. So that when the fire of God came down from heaven, it lapped up even the water in the trench. What he built was sort of an overbuilt altar hearth. Uh, what, what he designed was an overbuilt Ariel. So when this text says, refers to the city of David as Ariel, it's describing it as an altar hearth, meaning it's going to be, it's going to receive the fire from God from on high. Woe to Ariel, Ariel, the city where David camped. Continue year after year. Let the, let the festivals recur. I will oppress Ariel and there will be mourning and crying and she will be to me like an Ariel, right? meaning possibly like this line of God or like this altar that would be this altar hearth that would be consumed in, in flame. I will camp in a circle around you. I will besiege you with earth ramps. I will set up my siege towers against you. You will be brought down. You will speak from the ground and your words will come from low in the dust. Your voice will be like that of a spirit from the ground. Your speech will whisper from the dust. Your many foes will be like fine dust and many of the ruthless like blowing chaff. Then suddenly in an instant, you will be punished by the Lord of armies with thunder and earthquake and a loud noise, storm, tempest, and a flame of consuming fire. All right. Hence another reason to believe that Ariel could be another word for this Hebrew word that could be altar hearth, right? Remember our God is like a consuming fire. Verse seven. All the many nations going out to battle against Ariel, all the attackers, the siege works against her. And those who oppress her will then be like a dream, a vision in the night. It will be like a hungry one who dreams he is eating, then wakes and is still hungry. Isn't that the worst? Uh, like a thirsty one who dreams he is drinking and then wakes and is still thirsty, longing for water. So it will be for all the many nations who go to battle against Mount Zion. Stop and be astonished, verse 9 says. Blind yourselves and be blind. They are drunk, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with beer. For the Lord has poured out on you an overwhelming urge 
to sleep. He has shut your eyes, speaking to the prophets, and covered your heads, right? Referring to those who would claim to divinely see. So this is more bad news of coming discipline from God upon Jerusalem. Right? He will kill Jerusalem. It'll be like a bloodied body. Like think think of that in verse four. You will be brought down. You will speak from the ground, and your ground and uh, your words will come from low to uh, low from the ground. Your voice will be like the spirit from the ground. Your speech will whisper from the dust. All right, it's more discipline, it's more bad news. Your many foes will be like fine dust and, and many of the ruthless like blowing chaff. Then suddenly in an instant, you will be punished by the Lord of armies with thunder, earthquake, loud noise, storm, tempest and flame and a consuming fire. I'm struck by the reference to the consuming fire because we've seen God referred to as a consuming fire. This was a, if you're, if you're old school, uh, a little bit old school, I guess, and you remember third day, uh, Mac Powell's old band. I don't know if they still make music or not, but uh, they had a song called Consuming Fire. Our God is a consuming fire. And it's a, it's a proper recognition of the nature of God. The fire that would come down to consume the offering on Elijah's altar, his altar hearth, uh, is, is different from the fire that came down to consume Sodom and Gomorrah, right? But is it? The offering that was consumed uh, on Elijah's altar, this altar hearth, possibly this Ariel, the nickname given to Jerusalem in this text, this was consuming something that was offered to him to demonstrate his glory. The fire that consumed Sodom and Gomorrah, well, this is a different. This is God's wrath. This is like the fire of hell. This is... This is a different, this is, this, uh, this is fire for a different purpose with a different agenda. In both settings, however, God is the consuming fire. Don't mess with him. By his nature, it's his prerogative to destroy. With fire, we also can make things new. Uh, the fire, the consuming fire of God consumes his enemies and it also consumes the offerings that are, uh, that are, uh, that are given to him. This is God's prerogative and all of us, um, all of us will answer to him. There are these, there are these nations that, that would intend, uh, to harm the people of God and in uh, uh, all the many nations going out to battle against Ariel, all the attackers of Israel, their siege works against her. So now he's spoken about this warning of coming discipline upon Ariel, but he also speaks about the, the folly of those who would hurt her, who would hurt possibly, uh, I believe, Jerusalem. That it would be like a hungry one who dreams he's eating and he wakes up and he's still hungry. Somebody who's thirsty and has a dream that he's drinking a big giant glass of ice water, but he wakes up and he's still thirsty. He says, so it will be for the many nations who go to battle against Mount Zion. So while God is disciplining his people, he's also, he's also protecting her from outsiders. And this is a, this is a, a, a proclamation of woe to Jerusalem. Look, I've been protecting you, but I'm also going to deal with you. Stop and be astonished. Blind yourselves and be blind. They are drunk, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with beer. For the Lord has poured out on you an overwhelming urge to sleep. Right? Uh, one uh, one commentator kind of describe uh, takes this moment to shift to the uh, say this text illustrates the hardness of the hearts of the people of God. Right? That their eyes have been shut. That their uh, that their their prophets are unable to see that they're not able to really follow what God's been doing. They, they're unappreciative of the protection that God has given them. 
and uh, they are they are ignorant to the discipline that's that God's been that's God's brought upon their lives. So, viewing God as this consuming fire, ourselves as the altar, and our enemies as consumed by the fire that would consume Sodom and Gomorrah, all these parallels line up, and they drive it home to kind of be applied on a on an individual level as well as a corporate level. And their original intent, they're speaking to, I believe, Jerusalem as Ariel. But secondarily, as New Testament believers reading an Old Testament text, knowing that this is our God, that He has not changed in His nature, that He is still the consuming fire. What it causes me to do, and I hope you as well, is to consider a moment that, for a moment that God has protected us from stuff that never happened and we didn't know to thank Him for it. That there were people who were hungry to come after us, but they would be left unsatisfied because of, our, because of God's protection over us. And that there may have even been difficulties we faced in our lives that were disciplined from God, but we were too stupid to acknowledge it. And as a result, the suffering went futile and unredeemed. Would you consider that your own suffering might be the discipline of God, the consuming fire? Would you consider as well that the deliverance of God may have taken place in such a way that you didn't know you were delivered? So thank God for the deliverance that you didn't know he gave and adhere to what God is bringing about to your life currently and uh, through the means of discipline. Is it possible that you are currently suffering in the discipline of God, and you didn't know it. And as a result, you're missing the point of the suffering altogether. Is it also possible that you have been absolved from suffering that God protected you from, and you have no way of knowing it? Let's go before God right now in prayer and consider this. Lord, you are the consuming fire, the fire that comes from heaven to consume what is offered on the altar. And you are the consuming fire Lord, who will protect the two witnesses in Revelation with consuming fire as they are proclaiming the gospel and protected from their enemies. In both of these regards, oh God, you are a consuming fire. Lord, we thank you for ways in which you may have spared us suffering that we had no idea about. And Lord, we take inventory of our hearts and our lives perhaps looking at the difficulties we currently face through a new angle. Is this your discipline on our lives, O oh God? May we humbly accept your correction, Lord, that this suffering would not be futile or in vain, but would lead to sanctification in our lives. May we learn from your heart towards your Old Testament people and embody, Lord, a legacy of believers in the New Testament that is biblical and sound. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.